hello, hello again. My name is Jordan, and uh, that was my wife up here a few moments ago. Uh, her name is Courtney, and uh, and we're just so glad that you're with us at Ethos Church. If this is your first time, if you weren't able to be with us last week, thank you for, for being here. You know, we have a, a, a mission. We really just believe that God kind of created within us this, this, this passion and this mission just to love all people in Jesus' name. We say that's why we exist. So we are here just to love all people in Jesus' name. We're like, if we could just get that right, can, can we all just agree, like if we could just get love right, I think we would, we'd probably be, we'd probably be all right. And, and, then, and our vision is really just to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. It's fourfold. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And that's why Ethos Church exists, and we are so excited to finally be on this journey. I was telling our team earlier uh, this, this, uh, this morning, I almost said this evening because it's so dark in here, but um, it's definitely a morning. I feel it in my eyes. But, but uh, I was telling the team this morning, I was like, man, I I'm so glad that week one is done. Like, just let's get the launch done. Let's get to work. Like, let's just, let's do this. Let's live life as a family. That's one of our priorities. It's one of our, one of our values. And, and, and next week, we launch what's called Growth Track. Now, Growth Track is really how we kind of let you know a little bit more about what the vision and the mission is behind Ethos Church and how you can get involved with it. It's also the area in which we want to help you identify your strengths, your unique gifts, the intrinsic uh, uh, greatness that God's put inside of you. And so in Growth Track, we're going to kind of do some assessments, kind of help unlock some of those things within you, and then put it to work. It's kind of the way that you can get involved here at Ethos Church, the way you can just find more about Ethos Church, the way that you can connect in relationships at Ethos Church. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, of course, next week at Growth Track. It's going to be held at 1130, so right after our service. It's a two-week course, 30 minutes. We're going to provide a meal. And just a heads up, I don't want anybody coming thinking they're getting like a full course meal. It's Jimmy John subs, chips, and water, all right? So, so, so we're not, we're like, we're not, we're not taking you to Marcella's out here, okay? This isn't North Star Cafe. We're just, we're just doing what we can. So, um, so yeah, so we hope that you can join us next week. And we'll kind of remind you of that again uh, at the end of our, at the end of our time together. But we're going to, we're going to kick off a brand new series this morning. Um, hope you like the person you're sitting next to because, Generally, we only go about 90 to 120 minutes in here. It's not too long, but um, so you're going to get real comfortable with the person next. I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's like 25 minutes, okay? Anybody can stick through 25 minutes. I like to say, even if I'm the worst communicator you've ever heard in your entire life, you can handle 25 minutes, all right? Even on a metal chair, you can handle 25 minutes. And, but, uh, but, but no, we want to we kick off a brand new series. We're, we're kind of calling our, our inaugural series. And if you're not familiar with a series, it's really just a collection of talks. So for the next four weeks, uh, each week, we're going to be really diving into to these, these talks on the, on the idea of the good gospel, the good gospel. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 15. In fact, Luke 15 is going to kind of be our, our premise, our context for, for the most of the, actually for the entire series and kind of dissecting some of Luke 15. I want to I read this, then we're going to pray, then we're just going to jump right into it. And if you don't have your Bibles... Uh, no worries, man. We've got uh, what we call the magic of the air Bible. It's the sky Bible. It's going to be up on the screens here. Luke 15, beginning in verse 1 and 2, then we're going to jump down to verse 11. It says, now tax collectors and other notorious sinners, very similar to notorious B.I.G. He often came to listen to Jesus, some of you that went right over your heads. Others of you in my generation were like, oh, okay, biggie, all right. And they said, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that, that Jesus, this this, this man who's claiming to be the son of God that he's associating with such sinful people even eating with them. 
So Jesus tells them a couple stories. We're going to skip the first two stories. You're probably somewhat familiar with the story of the lost sheep. Shepherd's got 90, or rather got 100 sheep, realizes one of them's missing. He's a good shepherd, counts them. One's gone. He, he fervently, he, he pursues the one lost sheep, finds it in the field, calls his neighbors, throws a party, has a big celebration. Jesus goes on, he tells the story of the, of the lost coin. Woman has 10 coins, loses one, tears her whole house apart, finally finds the one coin, spends more money on throwing a party than the one coin was worth. But she's so excited, she found her one coin, and then Jesus concludes this series of really three different teachings, kind of all one story, one theme, with this story of the parable of the lost son. It says, verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus then told them this story. He kind of drives the nail in the coffin. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, he said, I want, I want my share of your estate now before you die. I want my inheritance. So the father, he agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him enily, anything. Enily? What is enily? That's not in the Bible. It's not a word. It's a Greek word. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. i got to go home to my dad. I want to say, Dad, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Just take me on as a hired servant. So he returns home to his dad. Meanwhile, he's still a far, long way off. His dad, who's waiting for him, sees him coming, filled with love and compassion, runs to his son, embraces him, kisses him. His son said to his dad, Father, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer a wor of being worthy of, call of being called your son. His father completely ignores the speech. He says to his servants, quick, you got to bring the best clothes, the finest robe. Put it on him. Give him the best jewelry. Put it on his feet. Bring out your Nike Jordans. Put it on, his, put it, put it on him. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. Come on, we're going to have some steak. Now that vegan stuff, we got to celebrate. This is all in the Bible, people. We've got to celebrate with a feast. But his son of mine was dead, now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. I love how he concludes. Listen to this. Look at, look at the end of verse 25. He says, so he threw a party. The party began. It's, it's, it's unfortunately not up there. I don't know why, and I apologize. But it says the party began. There was a party. I, I want to I talk specifically on this good gospel from the, from the topic of grace through the Father's eyes. What, what, is, what is grace? We're going to kind of jump into this. And we're going to talk about grace, come on, through the Father's eyes. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds, God, that through the power of your grace, do what only you can do, God. Make up the distance between what I would humanly say and what I prepared to say and what, what you want to speak into the hearts and the lives, into the life, the very beginning, just kind of very beginning of the life of Ethos Church. And God, we're so excited about what you're doing. We're so excited about who you are. And we're so grateful that you love us like you do. God, we're asking for your unity. We're asking that you continue to show us who your son Jesus really is. And God, lastly, we're, we're asking that you would take the Ohio State Buckeyes all the way to, uh, to, to January 7th in, in California, the national championship. Bring Alabama Crimson Tide, bring them there too, so that we can crush them. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. amen. Man, if you are an Alabama fan in here, you can go ahead and be dismissed. 
if you're a Michigan fan, you can go ahead and drive at least four or five hours away. Okay. You know, I, 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 um, I, I like animals. Anybody else in here like animals? Like I, anybody else in here have a pet? We have one person have a pet. Anybody in here have a pet? I see your hands. Okay. I, I love animals. I really do. I, I love, I love, I love animals. I grew up with pets. My wife grew up with pets. Literally, I grew up with dogs, plural, cats, like way too plural, right? Like, like and, and, and I had a, at one point we had a bunny rabbit. Actually, at one point we had two bunny rabbits. At one point we had, we had three hamsters. We even had a guinea pig. I'm trying to think what else we had. We had no snakes, thank God. Um, but like we had all sorts of pets. I didn't grow up on a farm. I just grew up with lots of siblings. And so whatever we asked for, my dad was like, I can't say no. He just kind of, we need a dog, we're going to get a dog. We need a, we need a bu- I don't want a bunny, dad, we're going to get a bunny. And, but, but then as I, as I kind of grew older, I, my wife and I, we decided we don't want pets. Because they're a lot of work, right? Like people often ask me, they say, do you have any kids? Yeah, I've got a daughter, Sophia, she's nine. Judah, he's, he's four. Do you have any pets? I've got a, a kid, he's, he's nine, and a son. I already told you, yes, I've got pets and, and, and kids. Like, they're the same thing. They're kind of synonymous. Like, here's what, I, here's what I've discovered in life. Here's what I've discovered. Go ahead, throw that, throw that pick up for me, if you will, Stephen. This is what I've discovered. I think many of you can probably relate to this. You can really only have two of these in your life. Only two of these, right? You can have sanity in a clean home, but you can't have kids or pets. You can have kids and pets and sanity, but you can't have a clean home. Like, and it's unfortunate, we like a clean home, like, we, we, but we can't have one unless we dismiss sanity, because we can't get rid of our kids at this point, we tried, and it's not, it's not even legal, and so, so I'm kidding, this is a tough crowd this morning, my goodness, I'm joking around, but, but in all seriousness, man, this is, this is hard, so my daughter, she's nine, and she's this beautiful little girl, and she's got these big brown eyes, looks just like her mom, and she's, she's my little princess, and, and she, she would come to us, Week after week, for a solid year, and she'd be like, Dad, can, can I get a puppy dog? I'm telling you what, man, like, I can say no pretty easily. I cannot say no to her. Like, like Judah, it's unfortunately. My son, like, like no, no, <laughs> no. Sophie, I'm like, yeah, of course. What, what do you need? Like, the other night, I told her she could have ice cream, and then my wife found out, and she's like, babe, you told her. I was like, yeah, like, do you see her? She's adorable. Like, she's so cute. And, and, but, but she's been begging us for a dog. And, and so finally my wife convinced her that, that, that getting a fish would be better than having a dog. I mean, I'm telling you, like, she should have been a lawyer. Like, she's, and, and, and so we convinced her that we're going to get a fish. And so in June we, we get a fish. And, and so we've got this little fish. And, and in classic Courtney Smucker fashion, she gets, like, the, the most gorgeous fish tank. Like, it's like a, it's just, it's more like a, like a decor in our home that it really is a pet. But my daughter thinks it's a pet. She says good morning to it every morning. She says good night to it every night. Its name um, is, and by is I mean was, Ocean. Because just last week, um, we found Ocean at the bottom of the, of the ocean. And, and, and I had to tell Sophie, I said, baby, I said, I want you to know uh, this Ocean uh, is, 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 is gone. He, he's gone. It's gone. She, she's gone. It's, the, the fish is gone. Gone. She's like, really? Is, is Ocean, is he in heaven? Do you want him to be, you want him to be, you want, you want him to be in heaven? Yeah. He, he's, he's in heaven. For, de- he's definitely in heaven. Okay, cool. So she's like, good, right? So, but, but, the, but here's, here's what we did. So then this past week, you know what we did? You know what we did? We got another fish. Because a fish is still better than a dog. 
and, and because I don't want my daughter to be so disappointed. And so, so we get her a fish, but you know what else we did? We got a snail. We, we got a fish. We have a fish and a snail right now living in my home. Like, who are we? Like, what do we do? Like, who, who has, literally the fish's name is Leo. The snail has a name too. It's called Journey. Journey the snail. Like, this is actually why we started a church, because I need prayer. Okay, like, you, I need people in my corner praying with me. But, so just pray with us that the fish and the snail don't die again. Because the reality is that we don't know anything about fish. And God knows we know nothing about snails. And, but, but, but you're like, how does this relate to the good gospel? It doesn't. I just wanted to tell this story. It's therapy for me this morning. Okay? No, no, see, what, what I discovered is that the reason the fish died, truth be told, is is we don't know anything about fish. I don't know how to keep a fish alive. We don't have any business trying to keep a fish alive. So this, this, this next time around, we did a little bit of research. Like we, we asked somebody, we, I mean my wife went to the, to the store and asked the people at the pet store, like how do we, basically how do we keep this thing alive? I think the same thing's true in our lives when it comes to the, when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the word of God. So, so often we see things at surface value. We think, okay, that's, that's it. That's that's, okay, I can, I can handle that, I, I get it, but, but we, don't, we, don't really, we don't really scratch beneath the surface, if you will. In fact, Luke chapter 15, it's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those crazy chapters in the Bible that when we really kind of get beneath the surface, it kind of wrecks you. It kind of messes you up in, in, the, best, in the best sort of way, but, but it, to just read it in and of itself, it's kind of challenging to understand what it really is, what it really is talking about. You know, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, the great apostle, he, he said, I pray, that the knowledge, I pray that your knowledge of God would increase. This morning, honestly, that's my prayer. I'm praying that, that our knowledge of God, that our knowledge of Jesus, that it would, that would increase. You see, in Luke, in Luke chapter 15, we really begin to identify why the religious leaders of the day wanted to kill Jesus. Because, you know, it, it wasn't Jesus's, like, it wasn't his worth, it wasn't the people you would assume that wanted to kill Jesus who killed him. It's the, it's the pastors, it's the priests, it's the religious elite of the first century. Like these, these men, they didn't want Jesus anymore. In fact, for, for most of my life, I'd often read through the scripture, I think, why do they want to kill him? Like here's a guy, all he's doing is healing the sick and raising the dead. That's not a guy you want to kill. That's a guy like, you're like, like, hang with me, dude. Like I need more of that in my, you know what I'm saying? Like I fall off a cliff, I want Jesus there with me on that day, right? Like. But these guys want to kill him. And Luke 15 really identifies why they wanted him, why they wanted him to be killed. Because slowly as Jesus begins to share more and more about what he came to construct in this world, the deconstruction of his new reconstruction was messing with the religious leader's power in that day. So de Jesus, Jesus really deconstructs the world as they know it, and he and he reconstructs the world as he originally created it. And, and listen to me, in his deconstruction, the religious leaders, they become confused. And as a result of their confusion, they become angry, frustrated, irritated. Think, think, think Ikea for a moment. And putting together their furniture. You become irritated, angry, frustrated. You, you also want to kill somebody, right? Like, is it just me? Like, is this, like you put, okay, obviously it's, it's just me. Okay. And I'll work on me. Thank you. And but, but, but no, and as, as a result of their, angry, their, their anger, they, they realize that the power that they, they once thought they had, they, they, don't, they don't have any longer. Ways that they used to make themselves feel important have been 
stripped away, or being stripped away from them by Jesus. But listen to me, Jesus doesn't just deconstruct, he reconstructs. He builds something new. That's important for us to understand today because, because the reality is that in our Western world, in our culture today, we are so good at, at identifying what's wrong. We're so good at, at, at knowing the error of a system's way or of another person's way, but we're oftentimes, we oftentimes fail in, in building anything in its place. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's wrong, that person's off, that needs to change. But we don't, we don't come with solutions. We don't come with, a, don't come with a new blueprint for, okay, how do we make this better better now. And, and so Jesus, he didn't just tear it down because listen to me, whatever, whatever, whatever you tear down, in fact, if you tear everything down but don't build anything in its place, people are left homeless. Which is why as a church we are committed to always being known for what we are for, not for what we're against. We're not going to talk about what we're against. We're going to talk and elevate about what we are for. We are for Jesus. We are for people. We are for his presence. We are for the salvation of our souls. We are for relationships. We don't talk about what we're against. We're, we are for. We are for the other churches in this community. We are for the Church of Columbus as a whole. We're going to build people. We're going to build people up. So Jesus begins to build them up, and he, he's reconstructing this new world system. Just hang with me here. Kind of going into a little bit of history for just a moment. But most of you have been out of school for a while, so we could all use a little bit of a of a history lesson. So the tax collectors and the sinners, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, says they, they, they come and they, they want to hear from Jesus. And when we hear tax collector, we don't think a whole lot of it. Because, because oftentimes when we hear tax collector, we think, okay, what's the big deal? Like, here's, here's tax collector, I, like we get it, like he's supposed to take $20, but instead he takes 30 and pockets 10 for himself. And, and, and we, we think tax collector, especially if you, kinda, if you grew up in church, you, you think Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Why? For the Lord he wanted to see. Jesus finds him. Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go eat a meal at your house today. And people are all up in the uproar. They're like, what? You want to go to Zacchaeus' house? And, and we think, what's the big deal? Like, it's just, just a tax collector. He's just taking $10. Not, who, who cares? Like, it's good that Jesus wanted to kind of reach out to the tax collectors and the sinners. But the reality is that these men are, are men that, that you and I wanted to, wanted to punch in the face just as much as the religious leaders of the day did. See, Rome at that time governed a territory all the way from England to India. Now, that's a massive amount of land to, to, to govern. Now, today in our world, that would be no big deal at all. Like, we could, we got planes, you can get to places in no time. But if there's a rebellion in one area of the kingdom in first century A.D., it takes a year to march your troops to the other area of the kingdom. So how do you govern a territory that size? You do it with a massive, massive army. With a massive, massive military. But how do you pay for a military of that size? You do it with tax collectors. You, you do it through, through taxes. But Rome was, was one of the most brutal, brutal regimes that, that ever stepped foot on planet Earth. I mean, today there's really no, especially in our Western world, there's no equivalent to Rome. Like, like there are there are history books. Now we're kind of we're stepping away from the sacred text. We're stepping away from the Bible right here for a moment. And, and there's there's history books record that that the Roman army that they would just go into villages, those that they've already conquered and those that they haven't, and they would just take over these villages. They would pillage them. They would just kind of they would just they would take advantage of the women and the and the children. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, right? And 
and they're, they're doing things that, that are just, just incredibly immoral. In fact, there's, the history records that they would take the men in the village, they keep the women, daughters, and sons, they would enslave the sons, they'd take the men, the fathers, they would put them, they'd burn them at stake, and they would line them up on the road leading into the city. And they would do this to strike fear in all of the people who would come and go from the city, so they would know this is who was in charge. So this is, this is the Roman, this is the Roman government, this is the Roman Empire, this is the Roman military. Now your next door neighbor just signed up to be a tax collector to pay for the, for the oppression that you're experiencing, to pay for the oppression that just took out your family. These are the tax collectors. I mean, like, I, I want to take them out just as bad as, like, the religious leaders want to take them out. It says the tax collectors and sinners, they're showing up to hear from Jesus. And sinners isn't like a generic term. Like, we're all sinners, right? Like, like I'm a sinner, okay? Like, if I, it, I, I I'm, I'm probably a worse sinner than you're a sinner. Like, that's, that's probably very much true. And I probably shouldn't be the pastor of this church. But here we go. And so, so, kidding, kidding. But, but, but the sinners is really a class of people. That's what it's referring to. Whenever you see that word sinners in the, in the scripture, it's really referring to a class of people. And by class of people, we're talking about those who by profession, their occupation is immoral. So you're talking about the, the, the prostitutes, the pimps of the day. These are the people who are gathering around Jesus. These are the people who want to hear what Jesus has to, has to say. So you've got these group of people on one side. Then you've got the religious elite on the other. Now, then the religious elite, these are the people, they have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Memorized. I try to read through my Bible every year. I get, I get to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I hit numbers. And I'm like, where's First John? Like, give me some, give me, like, I, like I'm just, I skip numbers. Like, I'm going to give you permission right now. You can skip numbers when you're reading the Bible. But these guys, they've got the whole thing. They've got it memorized verbatim. Like, they know the first five. So you're talking about the complete opposites. Like, these guys are not, these groups of people are not going in the same direction. And yet, these are the people who are hanging out, listening to what Jesus has to say. And because the tax, like, I'm sorry, rather because the religious leaders are grumbling, Jesus begins to tell this story. He begins to share, to share this parable. He says again in verse 11 that there's a, there's a man, he had two sons. And the younger of them said to his dad, Dad, give me, give me the share of property that's coming to me. So his dad, he agreed. He said, okay, I'm going to divide my property between the two of you. And not many days later, the younger son, he gathers all that he has and takes a journey to a far country. He basically goes to modern-day Vegas, squanders all of his property in reckless living, spends everything. A severe famine rises across the land. The boy has nothing, nothing, to the degree that eventually he realizes, oh my gosh, like, like the food that I'm feeding the pigs looks better than the food that I'm not eating. Like he's in such starvation mode, and he comes to his, his sense, he thinks, I got to go home. I got to... I gotta go back, I gotta go back to my father, I gotta go back to my dad. Now, now let's rewind for a moment. You've got the tax collectors and sinners, and you've got the religious leaders over here. What do, you, what do you think these guys are thinking in this moment? They're hearing this story of the of the son who spent everything on a reckless living, and they're they're thinking, that that's me. Jesus is talking about, he's talking about me. In fact, I think he's I think he might be talking about you too. I think we're kind of in this, I think we're kind of in the same boat here. Meanwhile, the religious leaders on the other side, and, and what, what are they thinking? They think, they, they, that's them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, get, get them, Jesus. Come on, 
tell them what's up. Like, yeah, 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 this, this definitely isn't for me, right? Like, like, pay attention to any time that we hear the truth preached, read, or proclaimed, and we instantly think of who else this applies to besides ourselves. This is, this is where these guys are at right now. Oh, yeah, get them, Jesus. And the, the story goes on, and, and Jesus says, the son, he begins to rehearse, and he kind of comes up with this speech. And he, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm saying, Dad, I, I'm so sorry. I, I don't even want to be your son anymore. I just, will you just hire me? So I don't have to eat the, 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 the pods for the pigs. Like just, just God, dad, just, just help me out. And the, story, the story goes on and he says he begins to walk back to his dad. And in this moment, I can imagine that the tax collectors and the sinners, they're, they're here and they're, they're, they're thinking, they're leaning in. They're, they're thinking, okay, what's the punishment? He goes back to his dad, what's the punishment? Because they're realizing that they are isolated. They've been... They've been outcasted. They, they've been ostracized. They've been denounced from the rest of society, so to speak. And so what's the punishment? They want to come back. They don't know how to come back. They don't know how to pay for the sins of their past. And so they're leaning in. How, how much is this going to cost? Meanwhile, the tax collectors, they're leaning in, or rather, I'm sorry, the religious leaders, they're leaning in, and they're thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell them what's going to cost, Jesus. It's, it's, I know this is going to be good. Like, tell them what's up. Both groups are kind of at war against each other. Both of them, both of them intrigued by how, how is the story going to end? It says as the, as the son, the young son, as he approaches the hill close to his home, says the father, he's, he's, he's evidently waiting for him. Says the father runs out and hugs his son. He kisses him. He embraces him. Meanwhile, the son starts his speech. Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've I sinned against heaven and you. Will you hire me? His, his father just completely ignores his speech. Are you catching this? The father, grace through the father's eyes. He completely ignores the speech. And he turns to his servants. He says, oh, guys, you, you got to go get my best clothes. Get, get my best jewelry, like the really nice stuff, like the really good stuff. And you got to, come on, you know those Jordans I've been saving that I only wear on special occasions? Bring those out. You got to bring the Nike J's. Put them on my son's feet. Oh, and that steak that we've been saving... Get the steak. Come on, get the steak. None of that broccoli crap. Get the steak, son. We got, we got, we're going to throw, he says, we're going to throw a party. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna celebrate because my son, he's, he's back. He's, he's lost, but, but not anymore. He's, he's found. Hang with me here. Hang with me. When you read through the scriptures and you really begin to see grace that God has extended towards mankind, it's, it's, it's pretty scandalous. It'll rub any religion that we have in us, any, any thought process that God creates, any sort of wall between, between humanity and himself. It'll, it'll really kind of mess with that. In fact, in fact I, I'd go so far to say this, that, that if when grace is preached, if, it's not, if it doesn't seem too good to be true, it, it's, it's not preached very well. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus is so good that it boggles our minds. It, it messes with our it, with, with our souls. It, it wrecks us in the best of ways. Have you ever thought about the fact that God calls David a man after his own heart? Like this is, this is King David. He, he didn't always just do great things. Like David commits adultery. Then he has the husband, the woman that he, that he sleeps with. He has that man killed. He murders that man. And then God says, that's a guy after my own heart. Like, that's either really, really weird or really, really gracious, right? And David doesn't say that about himself. David's not going around like, I'm a man after God's own heart. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, he's not third person. He's not, no, like, this isn't, he's, he's, not, he's not a modern-day athlete here. Like, this is what, this is what he, right? Like, this, God says, that's a man, he repents. David says, God, I'm sorry. And God says, David, you're good. You and I, we're straight. That's a man right there after my own, after my own heart. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, lays out the gospel, lays out grace, lays out the message of Jesus Probably better than any three scriptures in the entirety of the Bible. Paul is writing, says, God saved you by his, come on, everybody say, grace, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Listen, it's not a reward for the good things. We, it's not a reward for the good things that we've done. No, no, no. None of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. First comes grace, then comes belief, then comes good works. The gospel, church, is the exact opposite of religion. Religion says you got to obey and then you'll be accepted. But the gospel teaches, no, no, you are acceptance. And acceptance brings about obedience. Listen, religion says, let's throw that slide up there for me. Religion says you got to behave and then believe, well, that's, that's fancy, you can see me in there. You, religion, religion works from the outside in. It says you got to behave, then believe, then you belong. But, but can I just tell you that grace in the gospel says the exact opposite. Grace works from the inside out. It says, no, no, you belong in this place long before you believe and certainly before you behave. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, none of us behave well enough to be made right with God in and of our own strength. We are saved as a gift from God, not in our own self. We can't boast about it, only because of what Jesus has done. We belong, church. Can I just tell you, that those outside of these walls, people belong here more than they realize that they belong. That Colton, if you can come help me, we're going to close this thing out on keys. And there's really just one overarching point that I want us to grab today. And I'm just going to kind of fill you in real quick. I'm, I'm not really a sequential, like, one, two, three kind of a teacher. Like, like there's, there's generally really just one thing every week that I kind of revolve the message or the talk around this one, this one idea. And, and I'm just going to be real with you. It's because one idea is all I can handle. Like, I'm not that smart. And so, like, just give me one thing. I usually can remember one thing, like, 45% of the time. So, <laughs> the son, he, he's, he's going back to his dad's house and catch this. I know I'm going through this a couple times today, and I really want us to get this. He's going back to his dad's house just to, see, just to, just to seek employment, not, not sonship. He's, he's, he's kind of given up his right to be a son. He's just, he's just saying, Dad, will you just hire me? He says to Father, he, he just kind of ignores that whole speech from his dad. And he says, I want to I just throw you a party, son. I don't, I don't want to just hire you. I, I want to celebrate that my son is back. The son, he, he doesn't probably fully understand it because like you or I, we would think there's got to be some punishment. Like maybe at least for a moment, go off and write on a chalkboard a couple times, son, like what you did wrong. Like maybe a few hundred times and then, and then, we'll, and then we'll party and we'll celebrate. But I really want to make sure that you got it. We really want to make sure that you, you get this son. You screwed up bad. Make sure that you understand that you screwed up bad. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. I don't know how long, the, the story doesn't tell us, but maybe it was 30 minutes after the son was home that the father threw him a party. 
Maybe it was an hour. At best, let's say three hours. Just enough time for the son to go to his room, wash up, put the clothes on that his, that his dad had given him. I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine it was much more than three hours. But regardless, it's not a whole lot of time. And in, and in no time at all, the son is home having done nothing to earn back the sonship from his, from his father. And, and now he's on the dance floor just joking it out with his cronies. Like he's just, just having a good old time. Like, like here, yeah, this is good. Dad, you sure we're good? He's like, yes, son, let's dance. Like, this, where's the steak? I want, Dad, where's the steak? Is the steak done? Son, you can have as much steak as you want. I, what else do you want, son? This is all yours. You have anything you need, son. Dad, do you even remember what I did? I don't even remember what you did. It's been gone. All I remember now is that you are here. I can hug you again. I can kiss you again. That I can embrace you again. I want us to wrap our heads around this one thought right here. That when you sin, when you mess up, when we make mistakes, the most powerful place that you can be is enjoying the Father's love right after you sin. The Father insisted, He insisted that His Son dance. Dance, son. Dad, I feel bad. No, 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 son. Dance. Dad, but, but do you... I mean, I really screwed up, Dad. Uh, uh, son, it doesn't matter. You're back. You're here. You, you belong here, son. This is, I'm so glad. But, but, but what do we do? We go off in the corner and we, we sulk in our shame. Because we think, I got to... I got to... I gotta at least read my Bible a little bit. I gotta put a worship song on. Let me throw some hill song on. Let me just, let me just, I, just gotta, I gotta let a few days go by and then maybe I can get over it. Meanwhile, the father's, he's, he's sitting on his throne. He's saying, no, 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 just, just turn to me. The moment that you said, I'm sorry, is the moment that I said, let's hug, let's kiss, let's, let's, let's dance this thing out together. This is the love of the father. This is grace through the father's eyes. We, when we understand how God looks at us, it, it really begins to change even how we interact and look at other people. Because the truth is, I don't, I don't want to be a person who is more concerned with somebody's sin than I am with whether or not they feel loved. I'm so glad that God is not that way with me. I don't, I don't want to be somebody who cares more about whether somebody smokes or drinks or what they say. I, more than I do whether or not they feel welcomed when I'm around. Like, like, so I'm a pastor, and as a result, when you tell people that you're a pastor, everything changes. You know what I'm saying? So, so what do you do? Often I'm like, I'm <clears throat> uh, in marketing. Do, uh, I, I do, oh, what do you market? Uh, like, like good stuff. And mostly like good, like, you know, like good stuff. It's like what specifically? I'm a pastor. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I just cussed. Like, no, no, no. Bro, it doesn't matter. Like, feel, feel free to be yourself. That's how we're supposed to feel when we're around the Father. As a result, that's how we're supposed to make the world around us feel as well. So I want to I give you an opportunity to kind of apply some of what we are talking about. So I want you to think about these questions for just a moment. We're going to throw them up on the screen. What area of your life 
Do you still feel like you're trying to earn God's salvation? You're trying to earn his love. Where do you still feel unworthy, unequipped? Where do you still feel like you don't belong, God? I, I've screwed up. Allow the Holy Spirit to identify that in your life right now. Second thing is, how long does it take for you to release the feelings of guilt and shame when you go to God for forgiveness? Does it take you a minute? Does it take you an hour? Does it take you a day? Does it take you a month? Are you still hanging on to the shame and the guilt of decisions you made 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? God is saying, no, no, today is the day. You can release that unto me. And then what would it look like if as a church we treated people with the same grace that God treats us? 